and welcome to the Grapeseed Official Podcast. For this episode, our guest is Paula Luzzi, a former Grapeseed teacher at Mason Academy, who is now a Grapeseed coach in America. We'll be opening the box of Unit 4, going through each teaching component and discussing things you should keep in mind as you teach Unit 4 in your own classrooms. Welcome to the podcast, Paula. Thanks, Adam. I'm glad to be joining you again. Yeah, this is exciting. Let's get right into it and open the box. First up, we have the song, The Beehive. I love this song. Actually, I love all of Unit 4. I'm just going to say that to you guys now because you'll probably hear me say it a couple of times. This song is really fun because, of course, you're kind of building comprehension with the word hide, which is our vocabulary picture card here. And one of the things that can be really fun is if you have a prop that you can actually put some toy bees in. I actually made a paper beehive with paper bees. Mm -hmm. And like as we sang it, I could actually pull with a string, one, two, three, four, five, and it actually shows the students how they actually come out of the hive because that is kind of a hard concept to teach. So you can do little things like that to really make it fun to demonstrate that language and build comprehension. Exactly. You can do a lot with just pointing at the pictures in general of having their, your finger pointing as they're coming out of the hive, but there's really so much you can do in a static picture. So having your own prop like you're talking about is a really good way to go. Yeah. Also, when you're singing this song, especially in early exposures, you really want to make sure that you're clearly pronouncing the final S sounds in B's and C's because it can be really easy for your students to leave them off when they start to sing. So you want to make sure your pronunciation is clear without overemphasizing it and distorting your own pronunciation so that they're set up for success when it's their turn. That's right, because that the ending sounds are hard for a lot of kids. Mm. Um, one other thing that's really fun to do is like this song, you know, because you're talking about where the bees are, it is reviewing the language where from we learned in unit one. And one of the things that was really quick and easy for me to do was I had this toy bee that I would put in different locations in the room every class. And I would just ask them just real quick, where's the bee today? And like they would just say the bee is blah, blah, blah. So like the bee's on the shelf, the bee's under the chair. And then the kids get excited because you're moving it every day. And it seriously takes less than 30 seconds to get them engaged with using this language right off the bat. Exactly. Great idea. It'll reinforce this language that students have already learned and you're being time efficient. So that's a perfect activity to bring in. Leaving it there, let's move to I See Numbers. So this song, along with the song of the same name in Unit 5, really targets how many sentences. So in your box of materials, you'll see another deck of cards that go with this material, each with a different how many question and pictures for students to count the answer out. So pay close attention to how your lesson plans direct you to use these on a given day. Another thing to point out here is that knowing our end goal expectations can really help guide our teaching. So in the end, we want full sentences like, I see five donkeys. If you get your students to that stage in this unit, it will make your life much easier when you go on to part two of this in the next unit. Yeah, and I'd actually tack on to that note with you don't always want to sing. You want to just ask in natural language, like, how many donkeys do you see? So that way the kids get used to hearing those how many questions in natural spoken English. And then every now and then it is fun to sing it because they're going to enjoy singing it. So just make sure you do use variety there as well. Perfect. Now, I will say I have a lot of teachers that I, like, they ask me about this for movement in this unit because we don't have as many action activities. So one thing you can do with IC numbers is you can actually have your students stand up and march around while they sing this song because it's really fun for them. You know, I see numbers. So 
it kind of gives them a rhythm to just quickly march around as they sing and then they sit right back down. Perfect. Good idea. Especially if you can keep it controlled and focused on the actual learning objectives. Having the students get yep. up and move around, it's a nice bottom break for them. Absolutely. And then they just, yeah, they focus when you start asking how many questions with the cards. And then, so one of the things I used to do towards the end of the unit when I had extra time was you can do a really fun pair activity by having students ask each other how many of something they see in the room. So what I used to do was I would put multiples of objects around the room. For example, I'd put three zebras here and I'd put seven pencils there. I'd put two bugs there. So then the kids would stand up, go with their buddy, and they just go, how many pencils do you see? I see seven pencils. How many zebras do you see? I see three zebras. So it was a really quick, efficient way because I already had it set up for them. But it was fun for them to use the objects around the room and the language from this piece. There are two really great things that are embedded in what you just said there. One is that you set this up before class, so you can easily transition from doing this material to have your students going around the room looking for the objects and talking in pairs. You're not doing the song and then immediately trying to put different objects in different places in the room, wasting time, losing focus, all that kind of stuff. You're, you have it all set up ready to go from your prep time. And the second thing that was really important there is that you're getting students talking in pairs. Now, we don't see a whole lot of pair activity recommended in the lesson plans and the quick checks here in unit four, but as our students progress through the units, we see more and more pair work introduced and recommended. So if we can start in early units like this, getting our students speaking in pairs, when we start incorporating it more and more in later units, our students already are in the culture of talking to their friends sometimes. So they can make that transition much easier. Absolutely. And I would also say one of my recommendations is plan your pairs as well. Like pre-plan as much as you can. So that way, you know, your students will be comfortable with who they're going to talk with. And you won't have to be like, oh, hello, so-and-so, you go with so-and-so. So like you already have it decided so you can easily just tell them right where they're going to go. Yeah, generally, if you have a seating arrangement in your class, it's either boy, girl, or you already have your mortal enemies separated versus <laughs> your, or your stronger and your weaker kids separated a little bit. So it's very easy just to pair up with a neighbor when you do pair work like this, if you've already thought about your seating arrangement in your class. All right, let's move on to Little Bitty Spider. As you might guess, this is similar to the classic English song, Itsy Bitsy Spider. But obviously, even from the title, the language in the grapeseed version of the song is slightly different. So make sure that you practice and are comfortable with this grapeseed version before you teach it to your students. Yeah, absolutely, because it is different. Um, and then there's just a couple of fun things you can do with this one. You know, I got like an object. I actually had a little spider that I would, um, like a rubber spider I used to use. And it's just kind of fun to like act out the song because it is a short song. So I just moved the spider up my quote unquote spout and then he came down. And it was just a way to kind of help engage them because, you know, you're pointing to the pictures and you're using your beautiful pictures in the song, but every now and then it's good to actually give a visual demonstration. So that's another way you can just do that. Many of you, I know, do this because this song just naturally creates this desire in us to do hand motions. And so like, it's fun to make a little bitty spider with your hands and have the kids put their spider up and then wash it out. And then of course, you know, so hand gestures can be fun for this every now and then as well. And then for my class, towards the end of the unit, 
we used to do the little bitty spider and then we'd actually do the big, big spider. So that's another fun way you can kind of keep them engaged towards the end of a unit. Yeah, switching up the words like that or even combining those two ideas that you have and having a small little prop of a little bitty spider and then also a bigger prop of a big, big spider can be fun for the students to have that little difference and also realize that the language that you're using describes these props in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're like me, my teacher who taught next to me had a giant spider and he would purposely hide it in my room to scare me while we were on unit four. So every time I would come into my room and be like, where's the spider today? I always like that at Mason. And I think it's something that a lot of other schools can do too. If you have classrooms going like next door to another teacher, you can do a little bit of simple pranks or little jokes between <laughs> the two classes. And that'll really make your kids enjoy coming to English class even more because if you use them as teachable moments, it's fun for everybody involved and it doesn't take too much time from your class. Yeah, it, it didn't. It was like less than 30 seconds and it was just like an ongoing thing that just happened between me and him. So it was really funny for our kids. Okay, next up, bingo. All right, with this one, one thing I found really helpful was when I first started to sing it, I would sing it slowly and clearly because the tune goes kind of fast. And I feel like sometimes as a teacher, I used to just sing it to the tune and my students weren't able to understand clearly each word in there. And mm. I just wanted to make sure they heard the words clearly and the individual letters of Bingo and Missy as well. So it is helpful to sing it slowly and clearly for them when they're first working on it. That's a solid point because this primarily reviews him and her from the unit one hello song. So students have already had exposure to this. They should know the words, but they might still struggle with how to use them with actual practical application with their different classmates. So being really clear with your own modeling of sentences, using the language along with your proper singing from early exposures will really help lock this in for them. Yeah. And one of the things that's really fun about this song too, is like when you have extra time, I used to do this before class, we would sing this song and I would include my students' names because I really wanted them to learn how to spell their names as well. So, you know, for example, if I use my own name, there was a girl who had a cat and Paula was her name. So then you'd go P-A-U-L-A. So then they actually get to work on spelling their own names. And this is one of the songs that's really good because it specifically targets that. Great point. Yeah, a lot of our phonics work that we do, it really focuses on the sounds that the letters make. And that's really important for our students. But it's also important for them to know what the names of the letters are as well. So even though when we're doing air writing, when we're doing writer practice, we're focusing mainly on the sounds Materials like this really help us to reinforce the names of the letters for our students. Absolutely. Next up, Old McDonald's Farm. So this song has a tendency to go on very long and affect your pacing in your lesson. So review the instructions in your lesson plan on a given day and think about how you're going to approach the song to execute those directions efficiently. One common trap is stopping to make a bunch of comments or ask a lot of questions between singing each verse of the song. So look to save time as you're teaching so it doesn't drag on too long, affect your pacing, prevent you from finishing your lesson plan. Yeah, Adam, you're completely right about 
this because the other thing is you want to make sure you only sing the number of animals that your lesson plan's recommending mm. because you don't want to keep going over and sing because the kids are going to want to sing about every animal. They're going to shout it out and you're going to, you just have to keep in mind, we've already done so many and then we will do it again. We will cover multiple animals over multiple exposures. So keep it short and sweet so that it doesn't drag on to become like a really long song because that's not the purpose. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah. And even though you're focused on that pacing, you're focused on keeping your tempo up, you also want to teach effectively. So when you're looking at the actual language in this material, it's important to slow down a bit on the here, there, and everywhere lines so that students can see you pronounce the words clearly while pointing and gesturing with meaning for each of those words. Yeah, and to tack onto that, you know, this song is specifically targeting those placement words, like the words Adam just said, here, there, and everywhere. So make sure you actually demonstrate that language because they, the students need to understand here is right where I am, there is a little bit further away, and then everywhere has the, like encompasses the whole classroom. So just make sure you do take time to just quickly demonstrate that for them so that you do build that comprehension. Exactly. All right, last song for Unit 4, Four Little Ducks. Oh my gosh, this song is so much fun to act out when you have time. Um, and again, it, it does go back to timing. I used to do this at the end, like when I had extra time at the end of class. My kids loved this song because we acted it out when we did have extra time for fun. Mm -hmm. So one thing you can do is you can pick like four students to be the little ducks, one student to be the mother, one student to be the father, and then the rest of the class gets to sing the song. And I used to take my hill vocabulary card and scotch tape it to a chair, which was our hill. And then the students acted it out as they sang. So they would go over the chair, which is the hill, and far away. So the kids loved it because it actually made the song come to life. And they actually understood over the hill and then far away. And then we also got to work on the language go versus goes. And they could clearly hear it because we were singing it slowly so that kids could act it out. That's a really great idea. I like uh, It's almost like an obstacle course in your own classroom, but with purpose and meaning. Absolutely. And it was just so much fun for them. Yeah. One more thing to note here is that when we talk about verbal skills tools like songs, we're always talking about pointing, gesturing, facial expressions, and using props to convey meaning. But here's a really good case where you can move the actual teaching cards themselves as you're teaching to help demonstrate meaning as well. So we're really focusing in this material on near and far. So you can move the cards themselves as you're singing it. When you're singing over the hill, point with your finger over the hill. Then as you sing and far away, move the cards away from you as you're saying that to help convey the meaning of the, the words that we're teaching. Absolutely. Great, let's go to the chant for unit four. Yes, I can. So there are a lot of animals to go through on this chant. So just like Old MacDonald's Farm, try to be extra efficient in your approach to how you're teaching it. Since there are just two cards, you can have the cards back to back and that'll help make flipping from the first card to the second much easier for you. Absolutely. And you know, just remember, as with other chants, there's two different questions being asked here. The first one, what can you see? And then the second question is, can you see, you know, and fill in the blank. 
So we want to make sure that we use these questions separately throughout class to expose the students how to use it. So like every, you know, randomly when you see them in the hall outside of class, you can be like, oh, what, what can you see? So that way they break out of that. What can you see? Can you see a rhythm? And then like one of the things you can do is quickly pair up your students towards the end of the unit when they know this chant really well and just have them work on one form of the question. So like today, we're just going to ask, what can you see? Next class, we can actually work on can you see uh, questions. That's another way you can kind of help them really own that language. Yeah, just like in how we always teach chants, where we teach the questions and answers together as a set so students in early exposures can get the language down much more quickly, we also teach the questions like this too. So these are two very different questions, but we kind of teach them as a set to get them locked in students' minds. But then as we're further exposing students to the language, and they're more comfortable and accurate with it, we need to start breaking them apart and using them independently to show students that they're separate questions. Yes, because I mean, that's what you want them to understand and be able to use the language more naturally. Absolutely. Uh, one fun idea you can do, and I used to do this when I was building comprehension too, because again, it doesn't take long. And I always modeled this for my kids. I had a barrel of objects and I would just pull up an object and be like, what can you see? And then they would say, I see a snake. And then the next time I'd be like, oh, can you see a snake? And then they'd say, no, I can't. And then I'd pull up a snake. Look again, now can you see a snake? So things like that are really fun ways, quick to get them engaged with you and actually bring that language to life right after you do the chant. Or if you have extra time, you can actually have kids come up after class and actually play with it as well. Oh, I love that idea. It's like lightning round rapid fire questions. Oh, yeah. And it's fun because everybody wants to look into the barrel. So if you have behavior issues, that's a great way to have like a classroom management tip because you can't participate if you're not sitting and looking and paying attention. Yeah. And you can even throw in things like, do you like and where is the yep. using those questions as well from units two and one. If your students have really gotten down the difference between these two questions in this chant, like you're talking about, you can expand that lightning round to all the expressions we've used so far, if you have that extra time in your lesson. Absolutely. And it's really fun for them. I bet. Let's go to the action activity for unit four, take a step. So students have been making lines and circles all the way back in unit one, but you want take a step to go smoothly even from exposure one. So it can help to make a line in your class, then make a circle, before having students go back to their chairs and sit down once before starting this material initially, giving them a preview almost like we do with vocabulary picture cards. Yeah, and if you have a small space, you can actually have the students practice getting into two small circles and make two lines. So that way you can actually have it to where you don't have to have as big of a space, but that's another thing you should also practice before you get into the actual action activity. Great idea. And then once your students know the action activity really well, especially again, towards your end of the unit, you know, mix up some of the commands to, to make sure that they're still listening to you because action activities really target listening skills. So you want to make sure they're accurately following your directions and not doing the actions before you've actually spoken. Because that happened to me a lot. My kids would just automatically start doing the action activity and I'm like, whoa, I didn't even say anything yet. So, you know, doing that kind of throws them off a little bit and then they actually have to listen. 
Good point. On a broad note related to that, if your action activities are managed well and you're controlling the pacing, you're adjusting the order of things, and your students are properly following along, you'll see that for the rest of your class, you don't have as many classroom management issues. So just by doing action activities well, you'll help reinforce and continue building a culture of listening to the teacher and following what the teacher tells us to do. Yeah, absolutely. And if you can do that well, then at the end of the unit, the students are actually able to use that command language because they're one, going to do it properly, but then they also get exposure to actually giving each other commands. So you want to make sure you do establish that. Excellent point. So before we jump into the poems, let's look at the phonograms we're teaching in unit four. It's phonics fun time. In this unit, we teach the phonograms H, O, R, and S. H has one sound, S has two sounds, S and Z. R has one sound, R. It can be a bit tricky because many languages do something similar to an R sound, but tongue placement varies. In general, you want to curl your tongue back and mostly close your mouth. I'll say the sound one more time, R. O has four sounds, A, O, U, and A. Uh. This is the first time students are being taught four sounds for a phonogram. Pay special attention to your pronunciation to the first sound. It can be tricky for a lot of non-native speakers, especially those not from North America. Here are the sounds again. Ah, oh, ooh, ah. Uh. Now that we have our phonograms down, let's jump back into the poems. Paula, first up, we have the ostrich. Yes, the ostrich. Okay, so you want to make sure that one, you build comprehension, and then the first time you read it, you're going to read a little slower so that the kids can follow you and they're tracking with you because you're going to be pointing to each word. And then the second time you read it is a great time to actually practice reading fluency. So the second time you're going to read it more naturally so that they actually get exposure to hearing the text naturally. Great point. Also, like I mentioned before, O is the first letter in Gravesy that has four sounds with it. This might be tricky for your students, so make sure that you're pausing between each sound slightly as you say them. And definitely don't forget to hold up fingers for those extra sounds. And one of the fun things about this poem is, of course, there's the language expression like you'll never see. And you can have a lot of fun with this because, of course, you'll never see an ostrich in the sky. But it's like to get them to understand that concept of you'll never see, you can actually talk about things. Like I used to tell, you'll never see a dog in the sky. You'll never see a purple banana. You know what I mean? So there's like different things that you can say using vocabulary that they know that will actually help them gain comprehension of the concept being taught in this poem faster. You just wait. There'll be some kind of purple banana somewhere in the world that somebody's going to email into the show and say, hey, there are purple bananas. And I'll have to let you know, Paula. Yep. Because I would love that. <laughs> but it cannot be a toy. It has to be like a real purple banana. All right. You heard that, everybody. Let's go on to the rabbit hops. So with this one, in my own experience, every year it's happened with all of my classes. When the students are reading this, when they get to the point where they're starting to take ownership of this, they are going to keep putting the S on the end of every hop. Because again, it's like the rabbit hops and hops and hops. And then all of a sudden the language switches, will he hop? 
And so they, they just automatically say, will he hops? So you want to make sure that they understand that that hop does not have an S on it and they have to pronounce it correctly. So just be mindful of that. Yeah. Luckily here in unit four, we're teaching the S sound. So you can really draw their attention to it and ask them, boys and girls, do you hear hops or do you hear the S sound in this word as you read the word hop to them? And then that'll help them notice for future exposures not to add that in there. Yeah. And kind of like Adam was saying earlier when he was going through the sounds of R, R is a very tricky sound for a lot of students. So one of the things that I used to do was a lot of my students it sounds like the ul sound for them. So instead of saying like play, you'll, you'll hear pray, or instead of hearing run, you'll hear lun. So one of the things I used to do was just really get them to pay attention to the shape of their mouth, kind of like what Adam was saying. Um, and this is a great poem to do that because it is specifically targeting R. Good point. Yeah, you know what country you're in and what common pitfalls in pronunciation your students might yes. fall into. So. Paula with her Mason experience and, and me as well in Japan. The RNL is classically a tricky spot for our students. So whatever you can do to address not only just common pronunciation errors in English, but especially one specific to your country will help. Yes. One last thing here, if you have extra time, it can be fun to change out the animal and action of the poem to get your students outputting at length. So something like, the kangaroo jumps and jumps and jumps. Will he jump or will he stop? And your students will then be able to use language that they've learned previously in the context of this poem. Yeah. And again, to go on top of that, just to add on to that, you can also use that with your students. Will David hop or will he stop? Like it's so quick and easy to do things like that throughout your class. Good point. Okay. Let's go on to the horse poem. All right, now this is one of my favorite poems, and I, I'm not, if you ask me why, I would say I'm not really sure, but um, <laughs> I just, I like it. And I think one of the things was, is it, it does give the students exposure to saw. So I saw a horse, you know, so I used to show my class the horse poem, and then I would hide the picture, and then they had to tell me what they saw. So you can do this with other pictures too, if you have extra time, but it's a great way to actually start building comprehension of, like, I saw this, this, and this when I was coming to school today. I saw this, this, and this when I was on the playground. So, you know, it's just a really fun way to actually introduce that language to them. Great idea. But don't feel that you have to have your students master it here in this unit. What Paul is suggesting here is that we're laying the groundwork for future exposure. So, for example, unit 11 really starts to hit C and saw very strongly. So your students aren't going to really have to work on it until then, but it's helpful if they know it now. So then when they get there, they already understand the materials. Yeah, it's just about exposure. So mm. now the other thing about this poem is this one has so many review phonograms you can work on. So really look at your lesson plans because your lesson plans will highlight this to you. And we want to make sure we use the previous sounds and the previous letters that they've worked on in units one through three. And again, like a lot of the unit four poems are filled with the review letters. So look for that in your lesson plans, especially with horse poem. Yeah, the four phonograms we teach almost spell out horse. So you are correct yes. in that one. And then uh, one last thing is I would just say is like, make sure that you're consistently pointing to the text while teaching your poems. 
Um, I even used to do this. I would, you know, point to the picture and then point to the text and point back and forth. But the whole objective of our poems is working on concepts of print. So we want to make sure we are giving them exposure to the text with every single reading. Yeah, if you cross point and go from text to pictures, your students might not follow the pointer back over to the text. They might stay on the picture. Since the focus is on the text, keep the pointer on the text. That will do it for poems. So let's go to big books. First one, green. With big books, one of the things that I found really helpful is to actually look at the energy level of my students on whether, and that always helped me decide if I'm going to read it first or sing it first. If they're kind of hyper and like really active, then I would read it first because that would kind of like calm them down. But if my class was kind of quiet, calm, sleepy, I'm going to sing it first because then it's going to kind of like get them a little bit more pumped up and excited. That's a great point. So looking at the directions in your lesson plans, you definitely want to follow what they say for the most part. But in little things like this, where you think you can tweak it to address the needs of your class directly, then I would suggest to do that. So even if your lesson plan, for example, says, sing it first today and then read it. For example, if in Paula's scenario that she just laid out, if your students are really energetic, maybe you read it first that day instead. In the end, you're still reading and singing, so it's not that big of a change, but slightly tweaking the lesson plans to the needs of your students is something that you can think about doing within reason. We recommend this for all big books, but especially here, don't allow students to continue reading or singing as you're turning the page. Since the focus here is on the text, just like with poems and what Paula was talking about before, if they push on from paint this green and you will see into the next page and its content, you're missing out on your learning objectives. So make sure they pause as you turn the page and get your pointer ready again before they start to sing or read the next page. Yeah, and, and green is, has really simple language that you can use throughout your class time or throughout the day. You know, by just using some of the language, will you come and read a story with me? Will you come and eat a snack with me? So it's just one of those things to just quickly use to kind of, even though our objective for these pieces is concepts of print and reading awareness, you know, use the language with them so they actually can understand it and use it themselves too. Excellent. Let's go to four. So if you have time at the end of your lesson, this big book is a great place to practice a lot of different questions students have been learning in these early units. You can start with how many cats are there shooting for there are four cats. You can follow up with where are the cats on the farm. This can turn into an extension of the activity we talked about for the three big book in the unit three podcast. You can bring in blocks or toys or switch out numbers and locations and even ask about color for a nice review of a lot of the grapeseed language students have learned up until now. Yeah, and you can even use this for the activity I mentioned earlier in the IC number song. Put multiple objects around the room and they say there are two cats on the shelf. There are three zebras under the chair. So again, just pre-plan, have it ready so that they can quickly use this language. Exactly. And that'll help show your students that this is all language that ties in together. It's not like we can only use how many sentences in icy numbers. It also relates to this other material, even if the material doesn't explicitly have that language in it. One of the other things to note about this big book is it's really easy to kind of fall into singing and reading because it has a catchy tune. So make sure when you are reading it, you read it naturally with mm. expression. Oh, 
I don't think that's very nice because we don't want to read it. Oh, I don't think that's very nice. Like you have to read it with expression and you do not want to sing it as you read it. Definitely. Yeah, I really like that idea, especially with the, oh, I don't think that's very nice. That's something that you can start adding to your vocabulary, especially when it comes to classroom management as you're teaching. If a student isn't sitting nicely, you can say, oh, I don't think that's very nice. And then to encourage them to sit nicely and then move on to the next thing. Just another phrase that you can add to your tool belt to use in situations like that. Mm-hmm. Great stories. First up, the dancing pig. We're almost to spider's web, Paula. Hang in there for one more. I know. I'm so excited. So in this unit, students are being exposed a lot to the I will expression, but they don't need to master it completely yet. Just like with saw, the past tense of see that Paula was talking about before. So thanks to our spiral curriculum, it will come around again and again. Even so, look for chances to model some of your own I will sentences as you teach the more they understand the expression now, the quicker they will understand will, they will understand related materials in the future. Yeah, and one way I used to at, like work on this during my class was um, I used to ask them, what will you do to make your teacher happy? And so, you know, what will you do to make your mother happy? Because it talks about how we're going to make Farmer Brown happy. Mm-hmm. So like they would come up with some really hilarious answers, you know, especially like, when I used to talk about myself, what can you, what will you do to make me happy? And they'd be like, we will give you a hug. Like it was kind of funny. Some of the things they would say, and you know, some of the answers are broken depending on their ability of English, but it was really, the whole point was just building that again, language exposure of this concept because Mm. they're not going to understand it or master it yet. Exactly. Now with this one, this one's really fun. Once they know the story really well, you can actually have your students tell you the different animal parts in the story because it does have a lot of dialogue. Mm -hmm. So assign different parts for your students to be that animal and then they can read it with expression. And that's another fun way to keep them engaged. Definitely. And then one of the things that was really fun for me was the concept of have you ever seen, so of course the questions asked in the story, have you ever seen a dancing pig? And of course the kids usually say no. And then of course you show them the picture of the dancing pig um, and then my, I used to say, have you ever seen a purple cat or have you ever seen a flying dog? Because I'm trying to get them used to, again, the exposure of this expression because it will come out in unit seven. So I'm just building that exposure and actually making it fun for them because they sit there and think a flying dog. No, you know? So again, it's just about keeping it fun. That's a really good idea. And especially you can tie this into the idea you mentioned earlier with the ostrich poem of you'll never see. So after you ask your students, have you ever seen a flying dog? And they say, no, you can say, yeah, you'll never see a flying dog and connect the language there. That's right. Okay, let's go on to the spider's (laughs) web. Here it is. This one is so fun, you guys. It's just awesome. It is my favorite story. And (laughs) I love it because when you read this story with expression, your students just get fully engaged because you can create so much suspense and drama in this Mm. story. You know, when you get to that part, then he jumped, the kids are like, no, you know, because they know he's (laughs) going to get trapped by the spider. Mm. So it's just one of those things, even after the millionth time you read this story, they're just so into it because even though they know what's going to happen, it's just like the suspense story of grapeseed. 
Yeah, the story does a really good job of drawing our students in and keeping them really focused in on it. And we want to do what we can as teachers to help support that. One of those things can be to use different voices for the bugs, kind of like you can see on the audio and the video file. But if we're going to use different voices for the bugs, we want to still make sure that we can clearly say the sounds so that their voices don't become too silly for our students and it distracts them from actually absorbing the language we're trying to teach with the material here. So this one is also really good because it's, it's working on the language, come blank with me. So like this, you can easily use throughout your class. Come to the corner with me. Come jump with me to the corner. Come read with me. I mean, mm. there are so many things that you can just say. Come write with me and your writers. I mean, it's so easy to get them to use this language and have fun with that. Perfect for transitions. And just like the dancing pig, this is another one where there's a lot of dialogues. So as they know, as you get towards the end of the unit and they really know the story, assign the different bugs to different students and let them say that part. And then the class can narrate um, and they can say it with expression and actually really work on intonation and expression while they say it. Mm. And then for those of you who <laughs> have time, I actually had little bug puppets that I made with popsicle sticks and we actually acted out the story with our popsicle sticks. And so like each child was a bug and then they could act out the part of the bug. And again, this was just for fun, totally outside of the grapeseed lesson. But for those of you that have the ability to do that, have fun making popsicle stick bugs. I feel like we should have had a separate podcast just for you to talk about the spider's web here, Paula. There's so much you can do with it. I know. All of us end up with a favorite material in Grapeseed if you've been teaching long enough. So hopefully you'll find yours and you'll love it just as much as Paula loves the spider's web. That's right. And then you can share why you love it so much. Yeah, you can make popsicle sticks for your story or song or whatever too. You can. You can do that with so many stories, you guys. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Farmer and the Carrot. So with this one, kind of like the Four Little Ducks point we mentioned earlier about using the cards themselves to demonstrate meaning, you have a couple good options here to gesture pulling when the farmer and the animals pull on the carrot. So you can act like you're grabbing the carrot on the card and pull with one hand, or you can go with my personal recommendation of grabbing the story cards themselves on the side and pulling on them as if they were the carrot. Yeah, that's a good idea because sometimes you can't, you don't have an object or you don't want it to get out of hand. So by just, just simply doing that, you can demonstrate the language without having to use something else. Hmm. Now, I like this story a lot because it works on the phrase, please help me. And again, that's good classroom language. Please help me get the writers. Please help me put the books away. So, and it works well with, we say, please from unit three. So it's kind of like use that language throughout your class. And please help me get the pointer. Just the more you use that, you'll start to see the more your students will use that language and you'll have a lot more of that polite, nice things to say type thing come out. Exactly. It's always nice to increase those nice things to say in the classroom. Yep. All right, next up, sounds on the farm. So the story seems simple, but let's look at the end exposure quick check. Are students able to use the language of the story to talk about their lives? With the example of what does your mother say when you wake up in the morning? With just about all grapeseed materials, they are simply things we use to deliver language to our students for them to eventually express themselves using that language. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, it's fun to ask your class what you say. So I was like, oh, 
what do I say? And they would, they actually said this to me almost all the time. Miss Paula says, let's speak in full sentences, you know, cause I would say that all the time to them. So it can be fun to ask them, what does your mother say? What does the teacher say? Uh, and you'll be surprised what they tell you. <laughs> yeah. And if they come up with something, don't be embarrassed by it. It might actually be, <laughs> it might be something that's funny. It also might be just a normal speech tick that you have that you might yep. hear from your students that you haven't noticed that you might want to self-reflect on and change as you continue teaching. Yeah. This story is very repetitive because it's just asking the same question with different animals. So like as you progress, you know, look for your lesson plans to show you like the progression of maybe having boys say a page or girls can say a page. And when your students start to actually tell you the story, make it fun for them. Exactly. As an extra time activity, again, this is only if you have extra time. I had animal cards from this story and handed them out to my students. So like, you know, goat, owl, donkey, like almost from all of unit four, you can use all the animal cards from the barn. So it's like, then you'd hand them out to each kid and then they would go around and ask each other what the animal on their card said. So if it was me and Adam, I would have the goat card and I'd say, what does the goat say? And Adam would say, ma, ma. Yeah. So then, and then the other kid would then ask about the animal on their card. So it was really fun, simple activity that actually just got them used to asking the questions from the story. Perfect. Let's go to the Johnny Bear story. Johnny Bear goes to school. Yay. The students love Johnny Bear. So do I. Um, <laughs> so they're going to they're gonna enjoy this story right from the beginning of Unit 4. And, you know, build their confidence by reading Johnny Bear with expression. And you can also show it on the DVD because, again, they're going to know and recognize a lot of the language from this Johnny Bear. Solid point. And because Unit 3 has a lot of vocabulary and it's all reflected here in the Johnny Bear story, you want to practice this story a lot before you try teaching it to your students so you know exactly where each object is that needs to be pointed to. Especially Unit 3 has a lot of those school-related nouns, so there's a lot of objects you'll need to point at while you're telling this story. Yeah, and again, your kids are going to recognize that language right away, so that again draws them mm -hmm. into the story. And then make sure, Johnny Bears are great stories to actually easily connect to your students' lives, especially this one, because it is all about school. You know, so just make a connecting question. What do you like on the playground? Do you like to sing at school? Very simple answers, but again, you're engaging them by asking them about themselves. Great ideas. Well, that brings us to the end of Unit 4. So thanks again for joining the podcast, Paula. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. As always, thank you for listening and good luck in the classroom. Hey, everyone. Do you have a question about Grapeseed that you would like answered on this podcast? We will do some occasional mail carrier episodes where we answer your questions, so feel free to write in. You can email the show at mailcarrier at grapeseed.com. M-A-I-L-C-A-R-R-I-E-R -R at grapeseed.com. Keep in mind that we may not be able to answer everyone's questions on the podcast, but if you leave your contact info, including your country, we will make sure to get back to you, whether it is on the podcast or in a follow-up email. We look forward to hearing from you. Goodbye, my friends, goodbye. I'm sad to say goodbye. It was a good day, but now I will say goodbye.
Goodbye, everyone.